Hey everyone, um, yeah, stoked to be here this afternoon, preaching, gathering with God's people. In case you don't know me, my name is Tim, I'm one of the pastors here at Established Church. Um, big welcome to you if you're here, big welcome if you're a guest, and big, big welcome to the people who are watching online. Um, if you've been on this journey for a little while, you know we've been pushing into um, a series called Advent, basically. And I'm going to do a bit of a test. Does anyone know what the first two weeks we're on? Can anyone remember who's been paying attention Two topics. Peace was one. That was last week. Who does anyone remember the first week? It starts with H. Hope. Hope. So it's actually following a traditional kind of almost Catholic slash Latin Advent sort of pattern. I don't know if you know that. So joy, peace, hope. I'm doing joy today. And next week we're going to be focusing on love. Um, but we're talking about joy today. Um, obviously, joy is a tricky thing. Now, when you get to my age, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm pretty old, um, it actually gets harder to have joy, particularly around seasons like, like Christmas. I find myself, and this is my confession to you guys, I find myself becoming a little bit cynical about Christmas. I find myself becoming quite hard-hearted. Like I walk through Westfield Miranda or through Cronulla, the mall there, and all the decorations are up and the trees are all gaudy and there's baubles hanging down, there's presents that are probably not really presents everywhere and, you know, there's Santa up there in, in Westfield Miranda and all that sort of stuff. And a part of me just sort of goes, I, I don't buy into this. You know, it's not real life. And, and, and Christmas can kind of sweep us up on this kind of false narrative, can't it? You know, that everything's wonderful and joyful and to be celebrated and, you know, it's all about presents and it's all about good food and good drinks and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes I don't feel, not sometimes, most times, I actually don't feel that in my heart. I actually think sometimes Christmas can bring out really negative feelings in us. And it can draw out grief, it can draw out disappointment, it can draw out loneliness. I don't know if that's your story this year, particularly in 2021. You know, we've been through, as Meg was saying a bit earlier, we've been through a really weird season, haven't we? Like COVID, it's still going. Um, I was looking at some stats overseas. I'm thinking about doing a trip at some point next year, and it's just kind of scary what's happening in places like America and, and Europe. You know, and we, we're in a little bit of a bubble here. So how do we have lasting joy? And I don't mean Christmas joy. I don't mean Christmas tree joy. I don't mean presents under the tree joy. How do we have a deep peace joy that lasts? How do we actually do that? How do we have a joy that sort of stretches beyond even our bad circumstances if we're, if we're in them? I think we're lucky because the Bible really pushes into that lasting, deep, satisfying joy. And I think even the Christmas story pushes into that as well. So I think we're really, really lucky here. So I'm going to push into how we can have lasting joy, even this Christmas. And so I've got kind of keys. What's the key to lasting joy? The first one is realizing that it's God's story and not our story. It should come up on the screen behind me as well as the verses um, if you've got a Bible, that'd be fab. If you've got a, ta- a tablet or whatever, that's great as well. Um, but realizing that it's God's story, not our story. What do I mean by that? And as we, um, as we read this and push into it, it might be helpful to think, how does this challenge what our culture might be telling us right now? Well, how does that challenge what our culture tells us about Christmas in particular? So it's God's story, not our story. Look what, um, Lee read this out, but I'll just read it again. Verse 18. This is about how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, I'm going to pick up on that in a little while, the idea of Jesus, the king, came about. Uh, Going on, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. Now, as I read that, I'm just amazed by how little the people, I'm not going to call them characters because they're historical figures, but the figures in this story actually had to do with what happened. They're passive. The, the stuff's happening to them. Okay, The things are happening to them. I'll, I'll just show you what I mean here. His mother Mary was pledged to be Joseph, but she was found to be pregnant through what? Through the Holy Spirit. So why was Mary chosen to, to be the mother of the Messiah? Well, she was just that. She was chosen. It was God's action, God's story that made this happen. It goes on. Um, but after you had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, um, um, don't do the right thing. Make sure you stay married to Mary. And even in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. So this is something that had been sort of brought about through human history. It's not because of human cleverness or human ingenuity or human politics or some sort of philosophy. This is God working in history. We read about this in other parts of the New Testament, particularly Ephesians, where it talks about how this was laid, laid in place before the foundations of the earth. It's all about God. It's God's story. God's the hero of what's going on here. Now, like you, I don't know if you've watched, actually, maybe not like you, I don't watch Christmas movies, right? If they come on, I try and turn them off. I avoid Christmas movies. There's probably Elf is pretty good, you know, with Will Ferrell. I'll watch that, but that's probably about it, right? But it's amazing as we read these or watch these Christmas movies, like you hear about things like, oh, you've got to reclaim the Christmas spirit. I mean, what does that even mean? You've got to reclaim, reclaim the true meaning of Christmas. And what that generally means is being nice to our neighbours or something. It's amazing, though, how there's this subtle worldview thing going on. And it's all about us. It's all about making us better people. It's all about fulfilling our dreams and our hopes and our desires. It's a subtle dynamic, but it's there. And it's also there in the consumerism of Christmas, right? That's where all the ads and all the merchandising and all the cards and all the, the little sort of mimics and, and, and phrases that we see with Christmas, they're all pointing that you are the hero of the story. And yet we don't see that in the Bible, do we? The Bible would say the true path to finding ourselves is actually giving ourselves up. The true path to joy is realizing that life is not primarily about us. And we actually have a bit of a contrast in the narrative. Lee didn't, read it, Lee didn't read it out. But we hear about this figure, Herod. And I'm not going to, it's not on the screen or anything, but I'm sure you're familiar with what he did <laughs> in the occasion of Jesus. He's making it all about him. You know, he's protecting his power. He's protecting his kingship. He's trying to find this little baby. And rather than being seen as being in control and powerful and influential, he's actually shown to be weak and kind of pathetic. He's a sad character. Why? The story's not about him. He's trying to make it about him, but it's not about him. Same as for us. It's not about us. I wonder if we need to be reminded about that this Christmas. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Our culture says we are the center of the story. I was watching, not watching, but I was watching some of those Instagram feeds. That's what they call me, you know, those little videos. 
Yeah, and this, I remember one was basically saying, hey, you're the hero of your story, make it happen. This is what we're told, isn't it? The Bible says something very different. I've got a quote by a guy called Rick Warren, who I think is retired now, but he's an American pastor. Should come up on the screen. I could just say his first sentence. It's not about you. It's not about you. Isn't it contradictory that we think these things are actually going to take away our joy, but the reality is they actually bring us joy when we put this into practice, right? It's a strange contradiction, right? But there it is. His, his quote goes on, the purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillments, your peace of mind, even your happiness. Even your happiness is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Wow, isn't that incredible? Begin with God. Isn't that what the story of Jesus does? It's all about God's, God's initiative, God's work, God's plan. God's actions. It's God's story. That's the first key, I think, to joy that we can see in the Christian Christmas narrative. It's not about us, it's about God, it's about Jesus. Second key, understanding God's presence, particularly in the coming of this kid, this, this person, Jesus. I'm just going to read on from what Lee read out. So much packed into this, but let's just Let's just go with it. Verse 23. So the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and Matthew gives us a really helpful, a nice little translation, which means God with us. Isn't that amazing? God with us. He's actually quoting another part of the Bible, like the first chunk of the Bible called the Old Testament. And there's a guy who was a prophet called Isaiah. And Isaiah, in one of the early chapters of his sort of writings, said exactly that. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in the flesh with us. And he was a prophet talking about this coming king. And we're seeing this in the person of Jesus. Now, I don't know if, you, uh, if your experience is similar to mine, but when I see cards of this, you know, like nativity scenes, it's so pretty. It's so whitewashed, you know. You've got like a, they're in a nice little manger, and little donkeys are looking over the manger and they're looking, oh, isn't the baby beautiful and amazing? And everything's nice and clean. And yet I actually don't think that is. Look at the contrast. So God with us. Look what came earlier in the, in the, in the, in the passage, verse 18. So his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this would have been a shameful thing. A shameful thing. A young girl, she probably would have been 13, 14, to be found pregnant outside of marriage. Incredibly shameful. And Joseph would have been justified in actually making this so public and calling everyone out to account, hey, you know, this, this girl is a woman of ill repute. I'm going to divorce her. But look what he does. He does your honourable thing. He doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he just he wants to do it quietly because he's a good guy. But no, make no mistake, there would have been whispers. There would have been hints at infidelity and cheating. There would have been all this shame in the narrative. 
And see how that contrasts with this idea of God with us. God with us in the brokenness. God with us in the muck of our lives. Think about what a manger would have been like. Basically, they had to go to Bethlehem because they had to do a census and travel thousands and thousands and thousands of kilometres, maybe hundreds of kilometres, to do the census. And there was no room in the inn, and we pretty that up. But this is a story of poverty. In the manger, with the animals in the muck, the animal feces, dirt, uncleanliness, and God with us. I think we need to hold those things together. God with us in the dirt. God with us in poverty and weakness and in shame. God with us in our human frailty. It's not a very sanitized picture, and I'm sorry if I'm being really graphic, but that's what we see in the Bible. It's what we see, isn't it? Do you need to hear that? Do you need to get your mind and your head out of a sanitized, pretty Westfield Miranda Christmas? Sorry, I'm picking on Westfield a bit. And see what the Bible says, that Jesus isn't with us in this sanitized, pretty prettyified way, but he's in us, with us in the muck and the anxiety and the brokenness of our life. And that's what 2021's been like, right? Uncertainty, fear, anxiety. Don't know what 2022 is really going to look like. And that comes in different shapes and sizes for all of us. There's uncertainty, there's fear. Now maybe our picture doesn't look exactly like Joseph and Mary and, and this stable here, but, you know, we have our own muck, don't we? Emmanuel, God with us. That's true joy, isn't it, realising that? It's a pathway to joy. Tim Keller was reflecting on this thing. He's an American pastor. He's kind of retired now. Um, But he has this story, he says, in one of his books where he talks about a novelist called Dorothy Sayers, and, it, and, and she really explains this, this really well, this concept. So I'll just, the quote's on the, on the screen behind me. These are the words of Tim Keller. Sayers was one of the first women to go to Oxford, and she was a writer of detective fiction. So she wrote a um, series of great stories and novels called the Lord Peter Whimsy Stories. Lord Peter was an aristocratic, hard to say, detective, single and alone in the middle of a series. A tall, not particularly attractive woman named Harriet Vane appears in the stories. Harriet is one of the first women to go to Oxford. She is a writer of detective fiction. She and Peter fall in love, get married, solve mysteries together. So what's going on, Tim Keller asks. Some people have speculated that Dorothy Sayers looked into the world she created and into the character she created and she saw his pain and saw his loneliness and fell in love with him and wrote herself into the story just to save him. And then he goes on, God, you see, has done the same thing. God looked into our world, the world he made, and saw us destroying ourselves and the world by turning away from him. It filled his heart with pain. He loved us. He saw us struggling to extricate ourselves from the traps and misery we have created for ourselves. And he wrote himself in. Jesus Christ, the God-man, born in a manger, born to die on a cross for us. Behold who Jesus is, how he loves you, and how he came to put the world right. And when we realize that God, not in this sanitized, cleanly way, but God in the mark of our lives, surely it just fills our heart with, with, with gratitude and joy. 
Hopefully that's encouraging to you. What's the third key? Well, I've explained it like this, God's plan. So God's, God's story, God's plan, God's presence rather, and God's plan. Um, just in terms of context, you know, they were actually waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the hero to come, the promised king. Um, that's the backdrop drop of Matthew. The Romans were oppressing and dominating him. They were waiting for someone to come and kick the Romans out to save them. Um, it's interesting, Matthew does point to something that this kid, this, this coming king will, will save them from, but it's not what they might think. Verse 21, look what it says here. So she will give a birth to a son and you are able or you are to give him the name Jesus, which, which means God saves, because he will save his people from what? From their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And I wonder if that's the real true joy of Christmas. Not that, you know, Jesus, even as amazing as it is, came as, a, as God in the flesh, as amazing as that reality is, that Jesus, through his life and through his death on the cross, dealt with our biggest problem, which is our sin and our rebellion against God. As we reflect on that, that brings true joy. That changes our hearts. That shapes us. That brings us to our knees in worship. That's the key to joy. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, or at least that's what we should celebrate at Christmas. Matthew says this a little bit later in his gospel, which Lee so well explained. Verse 28 of chapter 20. Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that's a name he gave himself, did not come to be served but to serve. And what? To give his life as a ransom for the many. The many is you and me to put himself in our place to save us. That's the joy of Christmas. That's the joy of Christmas. Um, You know, I'm pretty cynical about Christmas and I said this before. But when I'm brought to the foot of the cross, it's hard to be cynical. The God who poured himself out for me. Some of our songs capture this so well. And it's a shame we don't actually do a lot of Christmas carols. Unfortunately, we're going to do a whole bunch next week. Um, I'm going to finish by quoting a really famous um, carol. If I was more organized, we would have sang the carol. But um, I think it really just nails so many of these things I've been saying and trying to emphasize from Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. This is Hark the Herald, which is my favorite carol, by the way. So hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Let me pray as we finish. Yeah, Lord, we think of you um, come in the human flesh, a fragile, weak baby. Um, We think of just the magnitude of that truth, God with us, God with us in the mark and the brokenness of our life. Help us not to sanitize Christmas. Help us not to make it into something that the Bible clearly says it's not. Help us to see what the Bible says, that the Jesus came into the mess of our lives the mess of the lives of everyone in this room, to redeem us and save us and to draw us to you. I pray that as we wrestle with joy, as we fight with joy this Christmas, this unique COVID-drenched Christmas, I pray that we really see Jesus who 
was born and lived and died for us. I pray that our hearts are moved to worship. And we do these things humbly in Jesus' name right now. Amen.